Father in heaven, we thank you, we praise you, we worship you. Father, we've come to the point, to the time where, Lord, we want to hear from you, O Lord. We want to hear from you this morning, not from me, not from any human voice, not from my ideas, O Lord. Father, I pray, Lord, even as the word gets exposited, I pray, Lord, you would, Lord, speak to each and every one of us. You are able to take this word and, Lord, make it relevant from the youngest to the oldest, to everyone, O Lord, Spirit of the living God. I pray, Lord, you would anoint me afresh this morning and anoint each one of us afresh that we will be able to not only hear, but also obey, O Lord, that the, our, the word that is going to be preached will become, Father, life in us, O Lord. Because you said your words are spirit and life. And therefore, whatever is of God, let it stand and whatever is of man, let it fall to the ground. But Lord, let your word bear fruit in our lives. Grant us grace to that end, we pray. Grant us concentration this morning. I bind every spirit of distraction or every spirit of confusion, every spirit of infirmity, every spirit of um, tiredness in the name of Jesus. And I pray, Lord, you would grant us alert minds, quicken our minds and quicken our Father's spirits this morning that we will be able to receive your word with gladness, with readiness. And Lord, and testing everything comes, Lord Jesus, through this pulpit. Thank you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. We'll be looking at uh, Reformation and uh, 500 years of the Reformation. And one of the examples that we were looking at from the Bible is the story of Josiah, the young king, who was eight years old when he began. You have 500 years of church throughout the world celebrating that. And I believe we are literally, we are really, really living in exciting times. Um, so many changes have happened. Um, five, the, the year when Martin Luther uh, nailed his thesis, it was time when the whole world came out of the dark ages. Everything, everything, gospel will change everything in your life. And because it changes everything in your life, it will affect the society that you're living in. And that's exactly what happened after the Protestant Reformation. So many new scientific discoveries, incredible uh, godly men of God who came up and with incredible inventions, rise of mathematics, especially um, in Germany, um, scientists like Gauss and Kronecker and, and musicians like Beethoven and Bach and name it. In the art, in the field of art, in the field of science and technology, in the field of medicine, in the field of literature, you name it. There was an absolute shift in the way people responded to the Reformation. It was an, it was, it was an incredible event. But also we need to have a, take a warning. Martin Luther started the Reformation, yes. But the incredible challenge that he faced was that when he took the gospel and he thought the Jewish people would embrace the gospel and all the people, especially the Jewish Jewish people in, in, in Germany, would he thought would embrace the gospel, that they were so hard. They didn't, they didn't respond to the gospel. And that actually prompted him to write some of the most intensely, um, intense uh, anti-Semitic literature you can ever find. Where Hitler took that, and then you had the Holocaust. So, you have incredibly powerful men of God, but doesn't mean that they don't have their blind spots. They do. We learn from them. We learn from their successes. We learn from their failures. 
Yeah. So Martin Luther, yes, because of him we are here. But it does not mean that everything that he did was right. He had his blind spots. And therefore we all have to keep our guard our hearts. No, we all are capable of doing something, some crazy stuff. Never think that we are not capable of doing the worst sin. Yeah. So this morning, we'll just relook at, I mean, we'll revisit uh, the story of Josiah. I titled today's message as a true conversion. What is true conversion? What constitutes true conversion? Are you really, really converted? Genuinely? How do we examine ourselves if you are really converted? Wednesday, if you were here, we looked at one aspect of Josiah's life, the way he smashed all the idols. And I'll tell you something, gospel will confront the idols in your heart. Because the idol in your heart, as Timothy Keller says, is your righteousness. It is what you trust in. It is your savior. But salvation is by grace alone. We maintain that a man is saved by faith alone apart from the works of the law. No one is justified apart from that. So you cannot trust in and whatever idols that you have, whatever you trust in, whatever works or whatever works of righteousness that you trust in, the gospel will confront every idol in your life. And God says, because I will not have any other gods, I will not share my glory with any other. I, first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. Why? Because I am the Lord who brought you out of, out of Egypt from the house of bondage. So this morning we will look at another aspect of Josiah's life and how he really got converted. Smashing of idols. This is Second Kings chapter 22. We'll be going back and forth between Second Kings chapter 22 and Second Chronicles 34. Second Kings 22. Now it came to pass in the 18th year of King Josiah that the king sent Shaphan the scribe, the son of Azaliah, the son of Meshulam, to the house of the Lord, saying, Go up to Hilkiah the high priest, that he may count the money which has been brought into the house of the Lord, which the doorkeepers have gathered from the people. And let them deliver it into the hands of those doing the work, who are the overseers in the house of the Lord. Let them give it to those who are in the house of the Lord doing the work, to repair the damages of the house, to carpenters and builders and masons, and to buy timber and hewn stone to repair, to repair the house. However, there need not be, uh, there need be no accounting made with them of the money delivered into their hand because they deal faithfully. Thank God for faithful people with money in God's house. And Josiah is saying, you don't have to ask them for an account. They are absolutely faithful people. I mean, you need to understand, godly leaders will give rise to godly people. It's, it's contagious. Not all will, will catch the, um, the, the vision. Then what happens? Then Hilkiah the high priest said to Shaphan the scribe, I have found, brother, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan and he read it. So Shaphan the scribe went to the king, bringing the king the word saying, your servants have gathered the money that was found in the house and have delivered it into the hand of those who do the work, who oversee the house of the Lord. Then Shaphan the scribe showed the king saying, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book. And Shaphan 
read it before the king. Notice that. I have found. I want to make a few observations before we go to the rest of the story. First observation. Unless God takes the initiative to find us, we will never find God. You need, you could argue, you know, when if you read the story of Josiah, objection you could raise is what, was not Josiah seeking God? Was he not the one who took the initiative first? Of course, obviously scripture says that, right? In 2 Chronicles chapter 34 verse 3, it says, For in the eighth year of his reign, while he was still young, he began to seek the, seek the God of his father, David. He began. So scripture, it seems that Josiah took the initiative to find God. And Vijay, what are you saying? And unless God finds you, you will not be able to find him. Jeremiah chapter 29 verses 13 to 14 will give you a perspective as to what this means. And you will seek me. You will seek me and find me when you search me with all your heart. And look at the next verse. What is that? I will be found by you. It is not I may be found by you. It is I will be found by you. An interesting verse. Look at John's Gospel, chapter 6, verses 44 to 45. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up in the last day. It is written in the prophets and they shall be taught of the Lord. Therefore, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Unless the Lord takes the initiative, you will never be able to find him. It's like, you know, he's like a God who wants to be found. I'll give you an example, you know, very very interesting example which happened in my own life. We had Abigail. You know, Abigail was about eight months old, and in the house we wanted to we wanted to play hide and seek. Okay, so you know when we play hide and seek in the house as a father, when she searching for Papa, I want as a Papa to for her to find me. So what do I do? She's she goes to the front room. And she says, ready. Papa says, ready. And then he goes to a corner in the house. And Abigail is searching and searching and searching and searching. But Papa wants Abigail to find him. Okay? You know, because he wants to see the joy on Abigail's face. So what what does Papa do? He said, And then she turns like this and she goes around and then she goes to some other corner and say, and I say, Abigail. First, I don't say Abigail, I say meow. And then she's searching, where is Papa? So that, that, that sounds familiar. And I say, Abigail, Abigail. And then slowly Abigail comes and she finds me next to the door like that and she looks at me. Oh! That's exactly what I see here. No, God is a God who wants to be found. See, when you have endeavored and said, you know what, I want to seek for God. Will I find him? You know, he says, you will be found of me. Because I want you to search for me. (laughs) And therefore, he is the one who Puts that initiative in you say, oh, I was seeking. No, 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 no. God put that in your heart. 
I'm sure in other words, he is a God who wants to be found. It was God who went in search for Adam. It was not Adam who was searching for God. In fact, it was hiding from God. Adam, Adam, where are you? It was God who was searching for Paul. It was not Paul who was searching for God. Paul was saying, you know what, I was a blasphemer. Think about it. You know what Paul is saying? God chose me even before the foundation of the world was laid. He comes to this realization. God chose me even from my mother's womb. He chose me. Okay, he chose you. But what is the trajectory that you took for 30 years of your life, Paul? Yeah, I was in the, I was a Pharisee. I was a, I was born a Benjamite. I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. I was under Gamaliel. I was the most intelligent student under Gamaliel. I was training to become the next high priest. I was persecuting the church. I was killing Christians. I wanted to arrest Christians and put them into prison. And I went all this way and suddenly I was apprehended by God. And the moment he's apprehended by God, he says, you know what? The God that I was not searching for found me. And then he comes to this realization. He says, this God, he was just not seeking me from the time that I was born. He was seeking me even before I was born in my mother's womb. Wow. That's fantastic. That is the reason why you look at the prophecy about Josiah. 300 years before Josiah comes into being. One prophet comes and tells Jeroboam, you know what, there's going to be a guy called Josiah 300 years from now who's going to be born. He's going to destroy these altars and going to grind them with powder and he's going to throw them into that pit. Even before Josiah was born. Even before you were born in your mother's womb, God knew you, you know that? And he was searching for you. He's like Francis Thompson, if I'm right, he wrote the incredible poem called The Hound of Heaven. Wow! You know The Hound of Heaven? Searching for you. Searching, seeking. And this guy doesn't even want God to find him. He's running away from God. But God is after him. Until he finds him. It was Adam who went in search for God. Sorry, God who went in search for Adam. It was God who went in search for Martin Luther. You think it was an accident? Nothing. No accident in God's kingdom. It was a God who went in search of each one of you. The parents that he chose for you. The school that he chose for you. If you're married, the spouse that he chose for you. Or the sovereign. Sovereign. In every decision. He was searching for you. It was God who became a man and came in search for us. It says in Hebrews chapter 2. It behooved him. To be made like his brethren in all respects. So that he could be a merciful high priest in things pertaining to God. And because he was tested and tempted in every area, he's also able to empathize with each one of you. If you are if you are being tested in every area of your life. He knows what you're going through. The temptations and the testings and the trials and the pains and the sufferings. We'll come to that later on. The heartaches, the heartbreaks. When we were without strength. You know what? We were absolutely dead in our trespasses. Galatians will say we were dead in our sins. You were saved by grace. It was an absolute sovereign grace of God which was after your life. Every one of you dear children here. Don't ever think that you are by accident here in God's house. And I look at my own life. I look at my own life. I look at my trajectory. You wouldn't believe how I came to this church. 
stunning. I couldn't, if you were to ask me 15 years back, Vijay, where would I, where, Vijay, you become a pastor? You ask my wife. I mean, those days we were used to, we were dating and I said, the first thing I'll never want to become is a pastor. Pastor, no, 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 no. And after coming to GDC, I told Eric, you go to full-time ministry, I'll support you. As if God needs my support. Hey, you, my, one of my friends, I mean, I was in Can, came back, came back from Canada. I was still not a part of the local church. You know, my friend was calling me. He said, Vijay, come to GTC. You know, you, you meet my pastor. I said, yeah, I'll come. I'll come. I'll come. Okay, okay. Next week, Vijay, come, Ray. Come. Once you come. You know, come, Ray. No. Okay, I'll come. I'll come. And I was, I was those days I used to work on Sundays too, no? Okay, God had jokes and all. I work for him on Sundays now. So he, he said, come, come with me. I said, okay, one day, I mean, that, that day I didn't have students on Sunday. So I said, okay, where's your church? I'll come. It was, I think, uh, March of 2007 or 6, 2007, yeah, 2007 March. That is when I came to Pastor James's church. And I never thought I'll be here behind the pulpit preaching to all of you. You know who was searching for me? You think I was searching for him? No. In fact, I said, boy, this is the last profession I ever want to be a part of. No way! Sister Elsa used to say, Vijay, you're going to become junior pastor. Oh, I don't want to hear that. No, because I had plans. Unbelievable. The hound of heaven. And he found me. Even without strength, powerless. How much without strength? As good as dead. Dead in your trespasses. Ungodly sinners. Enemies of God. We were haters. And what does he do? He reconciles us through the death of his son. It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, God in Christ was reconciling the world to himself. And therefore be ye reconciled to God. And therefore he says, to us he has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Please, please don't fight him. Don't fight him this morning. Don't fight him. Don't fight God. I don't know what you're fighting in your heart. You might be looking so nice out, outwardly, but so many areas in each one of your yard, you're fighting God. I know it. I can sense that. Fighting. Fighting His will. God has clearly spoken to you what you should do and you're fighting it over and over and over and over again. It's a probing in your heart. It's like a gourd. Gourd. It's like goading you. And He's like, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna budge. That's exactly what happened to Paul. Paul, he said, Saul, Saul, it is difficult for you to kick against the goats. Don't, don't, don't fight me. Don't fight God this morning. He was finding you. Think about the humility of God. That is the humility of God. That he will become man and come and search for you. Think about that. The creator of the universe. That is the reason why in Romans chapter 8 it says, He who did not spare his son, but gave him up for us all, how much with him will he freely give us all things? Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Who can, who can bring any charge against God's elect? Who is it to condemn? No one. No one. So this morning, don't fight him if you're there in the house of the Lord. He found you. He searched for you. He put your hand upon you. Even before the foundation of the world was laid, he chose you to be holy and blameless in him. That's what he chose you to be. Okay. 
It's God's grace alone which found us, saints. Look at what it says in Isaiah chapter 1 verse 9. Unless the Lord of hosts had left to us a very small remnant, we would have been like Sodom. We would have been like Gomorrah. That's exactly the reason why Jesus upbraids. Woe to you, Shorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. If the miracles that were done unto you were done in Sodom and Gomorrah, they would have repented. But it would be worse to you than to them on the day of judgment. If God would... You know, that's, that's the reason why, you know... Unless God would have not left His restraining presence in the in the, in, in, in the in the form of His Holy Spirit on earth, we would have absolutely collapsed as a society. We would have been killing each other left, right, and center. You know, they made they, they was you, re, you remember, right? Whenever these hurricanes happen, all these respectable people, you know what they do? They start looting shops. Why? Because the true nature comes out. Restraints are gone. It says in Proverbs, where there is no restraint, people perish. The restraining influence in each one of our lives. God in His sovereign grace is not allowing the society to collapse because He's a plan for each one of us. Romans chapter 11 verses 5 to 6. Even so then at the present time there is a remnant according to the election of grace. Election of grace meaning you don't have to do anything to to choose God. God has to choose you. I remember this fantastic uh, illustration by John Lennox. He was arguing with this Jew. I, I, I mentioned this some time back. He was arguing with this Jewish friend of his. Uh, and uh, the Jewish friend, he said, um, we're all Jews. We don't do this. And John was a little taken aback by that statement. And he said, okay, let me just probe this guy. And he asked him this question. What is it to be? What is it to, what is it, what do, what do you have to do to be a Jew? Then he said, you have to have Abraham as a father. Oh, is it? Then he asked him this question. So, is Ishmael a Jew? No, 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 no. You have, your mother also has to be Jew. Oh, that means both father and mother have to be Jewish for you to be Jewish? Oh, I said, okay. Uh, Isaac and Esau? Yeah. Sorry, Jacob and Esau. Jacob and Esau? Is Esau a Jew? No. According to your same argument, according to your argument, both Rebecca and Isaac were Jewish people. So their seed has to be Jewish. No, 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 no. And then he started thinking and then John said, unless there is something that God is doing sovereignly to choose someone to be a part of his kingdom. And then he looked at him and he said, John, you have more hope for my Israel than I have. Amazing. Even so then, at this present time, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. And therefore, and if by grace, then it is no longer works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. But if, if it is a works, it is no longer grace. Otherwise, work is no longer work. That's Paul for Romans. If you want to understand this logic, come to Romans Bible study. I mean, this is Paul at his best. It is ordinary, by the way, not, not his best. This is how he argues with us. And he's saying, you know what? To the one who works, his wages are not according to grace. You owe him wages. In other words, you work for God, God has to give you wages, but the wages of sin, oh, but to the one who does not work, but believes in him who trusts, who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited to him as righteousness without works. 
So if you are thinking that your good works and all the arms that you have given to the poor and the and the help that you have done for the people in the society and the taxes that you pay is going to save you on the day of judgment, brother, you are in for a big shock. Even if you are a believer in the house of God this morning. Because everybody, even in the house of God, they have their own righteousness. Why are you, how do you, how do you know that you're going to heaven? Because I go to church. Because I read my Bible. Because I give tithes. Because I give offerings. Because I don't miss any Bible study. No, 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 no. No. Or they will say, I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Okay, if you accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, how are you living? They have never apprehended grace in their life. They're not saved. They're only living in an illusion. They're trusting in a prayer and calling it works of righteousness. And God says, no way. No way. It's no longer grace. It's God has to do a sovereign work in each one of our lives. Except that we're all gone. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 to 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith and not of yourself. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. All boasting gone. If you look at the cross, no boasting. No boasting. No boasting. Therefore, Paul will say, far be it from me, except that I boast in the cross of my Lord Jesus Christ, by which I am crucified to the world and the world has been crucified to me. John's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 43. Look at this. The following day, Jesus wanted to go to Galilee and he found Philip. What did he, who found? Jesus found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now look at what, how Philip changes in the narrative. Now Philip was Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathaniel and said to him, I have found. Who found him first? <laughs> he said, I have found. He should have said, I was found by the Messiah. He didn't say that. So Jesus has to teach both Philip and Nathaniel both a lesson. So what, what, is, what does it say? Jesus of Nazareth. And Nathaniel said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. Jesus saw Nathaniel coming toward him and said, behold an Israelite in, indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathaniel said, how do you know me? You know what he says? Jesus answered and said, before Philip called you. <laughs> Before Philip called you, I saw you under the fig tree. Whatever that means, I have no idea till date. Nathaniel, Rabbi, you are the Messiah. You see how incredibly interesting we are? I found the Messiah as if Philip was searching for the Messiah all of, all of his life. I found the Messiah. Nathaniel says, oh, what Messiah? Are you out of your mind? And then Jesus says, even before Philip called you, I found you. I found you. I know. It's an incredible assurance for us. Do you know that? It's a liberating, liberating truth that God is the one who was searching for us. And therefore, if you have, if you have started an endeavor to seek for God, let me tell you, if you seek Him with all of your heart, you will find Him. Amen. That's the end of the message. I'm just kidding. Let's move on. Let's move on with the narrative in Second Kings chapter 22. Now it happened when the king heard the words of the book. The book of the law. He tore his clothes. Oh, I love that. You know, this is what we call as 
He is, he doesn't care about the opinions of men. He heard the word, tore his clothes. How many of us will do that? And that's exactly what happened to David. He finished, he took off his robe and he started dancing and Michal said, look at the king of Israel. Undignified. And David said, I will be even more undignified than this. Yeah, this is genuine humility. What does tearing of clothes mean? You know what? All my righteous works. It's a garment that I'm wearing. My righteousness, like Joseph's robe, robe of several colors. Look at Papa, he gave me the best robe. Strip him of that robe. That's exactly what happened to Job. Job said, you know what? I wore righteousness and God had to strip him of his righteousness. Now it happened when the king heard the words of the book of the law that he tore his clothes. Then the king commanded Hilkiah the priest, Ahikam the son of Shaphan, Nabor the son of Micaiah, Shaphan the scribe and Asaiah, a servant of the king saying, etc. What is this hearing of the word? I'll tell you something. Unless true conversion starts or rather is, is, is uh, preceded by the hearing of the gospel. You can never be converted unless you hear the gospel. You know what the gospel is? All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans chapter 3 verse 23. The wages of sin is death. Romans chapter 6 verse 23. But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Okay. Then it says, if you trust, if you confess with your mouth and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved. Why? Because he who did not know any sin became sin for us. That is the gospel. What is the gospel? Christ Jesus died for my sins according to the scriptures. Christ Jesus was buried according to the scriptures. Christ Jesus was raised again according to the scriptures. Christ Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father according to the scriptures. He was delivered up for my offenses and he was raised again for my justification. And by his stripes you are healed. That's the gospel. That is the gospel that has to be preached every, every week, week after week, Sunday after Sunday in different contexts. Acts chapter 2 verses 37 to 38 and when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. You see, you have to hear the gospel and the problem is the gospel is not God came to save you from your poverty. No, 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 no. God did not come to save you from your poverty. God cannot come to save you from your difficulty. Whatever the difficulty is. God did not come to save you from your Whatever problems and concerns and worries that you have, God did not come to save you from that. I mean, he told the, he told the, he told the, in Deuteronomy, he said, the poor will always be with you. Take care of the poor. He is not coming here to save people from their poverty or from their sickness. That is only a byproduct, not a prime product. He has come into the world to save sinners. Why? Because it is sin that keeps us away from the presence of God. And therefore it says, now when they heard this, they were cut to their heart. What did they hear? We'll try to understand what they heard. In Acts chapter 10 verses 44 to 45, when Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon those who, what? Heard the word. Acts chapter 11 verses 17 to 18, and if, they, if therefore God gave them the same gift as he gave us when, he, when we believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, 
Who was I that I should withstand God? When they heard these things, they became silent and they glorified God. Then God, that God has granted to the Gentiles repentance to life. What is happening over here? What happens? What happens when you hear the scriptures? Why do you tear your clothes? Look at another place. Galatians chapter 3 verses 20 to 25. This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the spirit by works of the law or by the hearing of faith? It's by the hearing of faith. Therefore he who supplies the spirit, verse 5. Therefore he who supplies the spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of the faith? Gospel has to be preached. So what happens when the genuine gospel is preached? I'll count, I want to come to this. He says, go and inquire of the Lord. You know what we call as holiness of God. You are apprehended by holiness. What is holiness? I'll give you an example from our own lives. Okay. Uh, I was uh, a research student in one of the universities. And you know, when you go to the university and you have a peer group. All right. A peer group, a set of people in the class or in your group. They're all working together and, and you know, you know, they're all at this, almost at the same level. Okay. Intellectually and, uh, gifting wise and intelligence wise, all at the same level. And we're all doing, working hard and we're competing with one another. And, and if you get, if you get the top mark, you know, we'll say, look at me, I'm the best, etc. And after the first semester is over, your prof comes and says, excellent, you did an excellent job. You're gonna get a, you'll get a hike in your salary, in your siphon. That's exactly what happened to me. First semester's over. I got a hike in my salary. I'm the best. And the very next semester, another guy joined my lab. And now this guy was a golden medalist in the mathematics Olympiad. He was sitting in the research lab. And every research meeting, he used to come up with a new solution. Week after week, week after week, week after week. And we all were looking at this fellow and getting totally depressed. It was as if like having a self-quake. Timothy Keller calls it self-quake. Look at this fellow, Ray. And prof looks at us. And because of him, we all look bad. We look like absolute dum-dums. And when you actually speak to him, we are scared. If this fellow asks a question, whether I know it or not. I mean, I was getting good grades and all, but you know, I was not having this kind of a depth in my, in my entire life. I saw for the very first time in my research group, a guy who was a mathematics Olympiad genius. You know, this happens in many schools. If you go to, you know, some of the top schools in India. The guys who come to IITs and, you know, IIITs, all are top creamy layer. Uh, top students. But when they come to the class, everybody's top mega pan. And everybody's expecting a A grade. And then we one fellow who is a super genius. And because of this fellow, everybody else will go into depression. You know, 
there's a, it's, it's, it, I don't know if you have it in your, if your universities called like IFLU and all. In our universities, if the students perform really bad, we, what we call as curve grading, okay? We curve the grade, meaning we take the highest mark as the best, okay, as 100% and then we grade it according to the highest mark in the class. So what happens, a bunch of students will get 20 out of 100, one fellow will get 90 out of 100. And what can the prof do? 1A, rest of all B, C, D, F. So one guy who thought he was the cat's whiskers in his university, when he comes, I mean, when he, in his school, when he comes to university, he finds that he is absolutely gone. And he's depressed and you'll see in so many cases in our top schools, they commit suicide also. Because they're depressed. They compa- now think about it, no? The presence of a human genius. What, what did I say? The presence of a human genius will make you look so bad. Think about what will happen to you in the presence of God. I mean, intelligence to the power of infinity. Strength to the power of infinity. If you play chess with him, he already lost the match. There's no point. He knows the end from the beginning? Are you crazy? You know, when we talk about holiness of God, we talk about the superlative of everything. God, man is made in the image of God and you take the capability of man and multiply it an infinite number of times. That is what holiness is. You know, my brother he used to play the Sam, right? He used to play the A2 league cricket matches here, no? A2 league is one of the premier leagues in local Hyderabad. He was an opening batsman, square cut, cover drive, pot, pot, sixes and fours, century. Samana, great, great. And then he got selected for the, to represent the Hyderabad team. To play in Gymkhana grounds those days. First ball he couldn't see, gone. Second ball, clean ball. And then I asked him, what happened? Vijay, ball ka number time I'm not able to see the ball. <laughs> you think about it, no? The presence of a human superlative will make you blind. That's exactly what happened when you are apprehended by the holiness of God. You know what Isaiah will say? Oh, no, 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 no. I'm coming apart in the seams. It's as if all my body is disintegrating when I see this. I'm a man of unclean lips. I'm dwelling among a people of unclean lips. Woe is me, I'm undone. Oy way, oy way. Why? Because he hears Kadosh, Kadosh, Kadosh. This is this man, what's his name? Uh, Chuck Swindle. He, he's, he gives this interesting uh, exposition on this. When you have seraph, what the word seraph means, the seraph means, the, the word seraph means the fiery ones. You, you, I mean, if, if a seraphim comes, you cannot even bear to look at him. They're full of fire. Fire and holiness and all these seraphim with six wings, they're covering all their eyes and they're singing to one another, holy, holy, holy. And that guy is repeating, holy, holy, holy. I mean, like Pastor Sharon was doing that. Holy, holy, holy. This is the Lord God Almighty. That's exactly what is happening. And this time, this guy is able to see the heavens open and he thought he was a good boy because he already wrote five chapters in Isaiah. That is what happens in the preaching of the 
true gospel, you will see, you know what Paul, uh, Peter says, all flesh is as grass and the glory of the field as a flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the glory of God abides forever. This is the gospel that we have preached to you. That is what the gospel does. You know what it does? It magnifies the holiness of Christ. Magnifies the requirements of Jesus. The righteousness of God. That even when you sin in your thought life, even a single sin in your thought, when you stand in the presence of God, that thought will just come out of your brain and break your brain. That's exactly what happens in the holiness of God. In the presence of a holy God. You cannot hide. It will be as if God is all over you. (laughs) Where can you hide from him? (laughs) You are confronted by the living word. That's what happens. The word of the Lord is living. Powerful. How powerful? Dynamite. That's the word dynamis. Sharper than any two-edged sword. Think about the sharpest sword. Chinese movies. Yesterday I was watching a clip. He does seven times and ribbon just falls like that. In a pattern. Think about God with a stewardship sword. He looks at your soul. Pramodeva? It's just an example, okay? Every thought, every intention, every motive, every gesture, every smile, every anger, everything is weighed. You know what it says? There is no creature hidden in his sight. All things are naked. That's exactly what happens to Josiah. You know what he says? I am naked before God. This is what I really am. I'm covering myself with his robe. But don't deep inside. I'm wretched, blind and naked. You had another king in the time of Elisha. He was having clothes outside, inside which was absolutely ragged. But he was covering himself. With his robe. He don't, nobody wants to see him. That's what Jesus tells the Laodicean church. You say that you're clothed. You don't even know that you're wretched, blind and naked. You're like the emperors without clothes. Everybody's saying, hey, look at the garment, look at the garment. Beautiful garment. But God is looking at it and says, you're naked. Absolutely naked. This emperor has no clothes. That is what true true conviction is, by the way. In John's Gospel, chapter 16, verses 18 to 10. And when he was come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin, because they do not believe me. Of righteousness, because I go to my father. And and you see me no more. Of judgment, because the ruler of this world is being judged. He is going to convict you left, right and center. He's going to take the torch and he's going to put it into your heart like that. The Spirit of God is going to do us a deep search inside of you. To, the, to every nook and corner of your heart. Look at what it says in Psalm 139. It's a fantastic Psalm. Oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know my sitting down <laughs> and my rising up. You understand my thought even before I think it. You comprehend my path and my lying down and you are acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word in my tongue. But behold, oh Lord, you know it all together. 
You hedged me behind and before. You laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is too high. I cannot attain it, Lord. And then he says, you know what? Look at this. Where can I run from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, or rather, if I think that I can come and hide in GTC, you're there, searching me. You know, like, uh, Clark. Superman's name? Clarkson? Clark? Clark Kent. Kent Clark. He's able, he has X-ray vision. He's able to see through. Every motive, every thought. Where are you? You're hiding in the church. And so many believers hide in the church. And they call it heaven. He's searching you there. If I take the wings of the morning and <laughs> dwell in the uttermost parts of the earth, you're there. I can't run. Even there your hand shall lead me, your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall fall upon me. It's like a, 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 a cat drinking stolen milk. How does it drink? Close its eyes. By, by closing its eyes, it's thinking that nobody's watching. Surely the darkness shall fall. Even night, even night shall be light. Indeed, the darkness shall not hide from you, but night shines as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to you. And therefore he says, search me, O God. Search me. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and my anxieties. See if there is any wicked way in me and lead me to the way of everlasting life. That is what happens when conviction comes. You can't hide. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And the KJV Bible says he started fearing and trembling. Who are you, Lord? Who are you? Who are you, Lord? It is Jesus whom you persecute. What do you want me to do, Lord? It is difficult for you to prick again the goat saints. I'm not sure how many of the house of the Lord fighting sin. Already defeated in your battles. And you're compromised. And some people don't even care. Let's move on. Second Chronicles chapter 34. This is Huldah the prophetess. He goes, he sends Hilkiah the high priest to Huldah the prophetess. And this is what she says. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, tell the man who sent me, sent you to me. You know, this guy is absolutely undone. He wants to know what God wants him to do. It's exactly what happens to you. Once you are apprehended by the holiness of God, no other questions. You know? <laughs> After uh, Isaiah's tongue is purged, you know, God will ask, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? Me. You have an option. This is too good a news to hide in my heart. Okay, that's a different message altogether. But let's see what happens. Tell the man who sent you to me. Thus says the Lord. Behold, I will bring calamity onto this place and onto its inhabitants. All the curses that I have written in the book of the law which you have read before the king of Judah. Because they have forsaken me and burned incense to other gods, that they may provoke me to anger with all their works. Therefore, my wrath is poured out on this place, and it will not be quenched. Now tell me something. Where was 
the wrath of God, the fire of God quenched on the cross. Now, this is very interesting. In Luke's Gospel, chapter 11, Jesus is walking through the Samaritan uh, city and none of the Samaritans warned him. Okay? No, no room, no room, no room. And the disciples are absolutely livid and angry with Jesus. They said, can you please call fire down from heaven, please? Jesus says, you don't know what I'm, what you're asking for. What kind of a spirit you have? Luke's Gospel, chapter 12, he says, the fire is already quenched, is already kindled. And I'm ready to be baptized with that fire and to quench it. But that is not the message. Let's look, on, let's look at what true conversion is. Verse 26. But as for the king of Judah who sent you to inquire of the Lord in this manner, you should speak to him. Thus says the Lord God of Israel concerning the words that you have heard. Because your heart was tender. That's the point. You know, I don't know if the word a tender heart is mentioned any other time in the Old Testament apart from this incident. Twice it's mentioned. First in Second Chronicles 34 and Second Kings 22. Only twice. And both in connection with Josiah. Because your heart was tender and you humbled yourself before God when you heard his words against this place and against his inhabitants and you humbled yourself before me and you tore your clothes and wept before me, I also have heard you. How's my heart today? Tender? Or is it hard? How do I test? Proverbs chapter 4 verse 23. Watch over your heart with all diligence. For from it flow the springs of life. Another place. Keep thy heart with all diligence for out of it are the issues of life. The heart of the problem is a problem of the heart. Is your heart tender today? How do I know if my heart is tender or hard? Let us try to see some tests. You go to the doctor, he will do a few tests and he will give you a prescription according to the outcome of those examinations. What is my attitude towards sin? First thing, Hebrews chapter 3 verse 13. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through deceitfulness of sin. Now, think about it. If your biggest battle is your sin, and it is till the end of your life. I was listening to Chuck Swindle the other day. He was, uh, he was I think, about 84 years old. 84 years old. He asked his mentor who was six years elder to him. 90-year-old man. 90-year-old man. So they were having a discussion. They said, uh, Chuck was asking this man. He said, uh, I think his name is John. Hi, John. Uh, How is your battle with lust? He's fighting it now. Fighting? What is your age? 90. 90. I mean, I, I really thank God for the humility of this 90 year old man who can confess his weakness. His heart is tender. He's never, never complacent about his weaknesses. You know, if you're really, really fighting sin in your life, one of the things that you would want to do, every occasion that you want to do, you would want to come Every day to the listening of the scripture of God as far as possible. If that is your problem, 
If sin is not your problem, then you can become complacent. But it's a very slow thing. Very, very slow. Very, very, very slow. You miss one meeting here. Ah, it's okay. Chalega. And then another meeting. Chalega. There's no challenge constantly, you know. You need to have challenge every day of your life. Do you know that? You know why? Because it is called what? Today. Only today is guaranteed, not tomorrow. Therefore, you have to hear the voice today. What is your attitude towards sin? Are you serious about killing sin in your life? John Owen made a very powerful statement. He said, keep killing sin or sin will be killing you. That's our, that's the, that's the book called Mortification of Flesh by John Owen. What do you mean by mortify? I told you, right? Mortify means kill the flesh. Every quivering of the flesh. Kill it. It's like a chicken. You kill it, it'll still be quivering. You bring it to your house also, it'll be quivering. Several pieces has, have happened. Even one part will be quivering. The leg will be going like this. Have you seen that? That's a flesh. That is a flesh. Every quivering of the flesh, mortify it. Is that, is that what your aim is in life? Without holiness, nobody can see God. Otherwise, you'll be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Matthew chapter 5, verses 3 to 4. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. If you are not battling sin in your life with tears, if you were bare yesterday's, and our fasting and prayer was fantastic. Crying to God and saying, Lord, save me from myself. Hebrews will say that. You have not resisted to the shedding of blood. You fight against sin. James chapter 4, verse 8 to 10. Draw near to God. Draw, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hand, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament, mourn, weep. You like to laugh a lot. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. Draw near to God. How is your attitude towards sin? Proverbs chapter 28 verse 14. Blessed is the one who always trembles before God, but whoever hardens his heart will fall into trouble. Do you see that? You tremble? Before is God, before God, another place. Blessed are those who fear to do wrong, but the stubborn are headed for serious trouble. Blessed is the one who fears the Lord always, but whoever hardens his heart will fall into calamity. How's your heart today? Attitude towards sin? Attitude toward correction? Proverbs chapter 29 verse 1. He who is often rebuked and hardens his neck will suddenly be destroyed and without remedy. We kept on sinning, 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 sinning. That's exactly what happened to Pharaoh. He hardened his heart. He hardened his heart. You know how many times it's mentioned? 15 times. 22 times the word hardened is mentioned in uh, Exodus. 17 times in connection with Pharaoh. He hardened his heart. He hardened his heart. He hardened his heart. And finally, the Lord hardened his heart. Finished. Gone. Over. Rebute. First time plague. Oh, Moses, please, please pray to your God. Okay, I'll pray. Next minute, gone. Oh, next time again, another plague. Oh, please, 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 please entreat your God. You know what these people are? These are the people who never are seriously convicted of their sin. They are only convicted because of the consequences of their sin. They are crying, oh, because I am in trouble. Why? Because of my sin. 
the morning the consequences but never the action Jeremiah chapter 5 verse 3 oh lord are not your eyes on the truth you have stricken them but they have not grieved you have consumed men that they have refused to receive correction they have made their faces harder than a rock Remember that in in uh, Romans chapter uh, Revelation chapter sixteen, the rocks are falling, the plagues are being poured, and people are having all kinds of boils, but they refuse to repent and they rebel against the Most High God. Why? There's no repentance again anymore. They're hardening and getting more and more and more hardened. It's one of the biggest dangers. When was the last time you wept for your sin? You need to ask yourself this question. When was the last time you cried out to God and you had tears and you were frustrated because of repeated failure? When was the last time? Proverbs chapter 29. Matthew chapter 19. The Pharisees. There's another, another, how do I know that I'm, that my heart is hard, heart is hard? Pharisees also came to him, testing him and saying to him, is, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife just for any reason? Attitude toward your spouse, very, very important. They said to him, why did Moses command to give certificate divorce and to put her away? You know what Jesus says? Because of the hardness of your heart. Hardness. We'll come to that later on. How do we tackle that? Attitude toward your brother. If there is any any poor among you of your brethren, within any of the gates in your land, which the Lord your God is giving you, You shall not harden your heart, nor shut your hand from your brother, but you shall open your heart wide to him and willingly lend him sufficient for his need, whatever he needs. Are you sensitive to the needs of others? John's Gospel, chapter 5, verse 24. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. This is subjective, but how, I mean objective, but how do I know this is reality in my life? Look at what it says in 1 John. We know that we have passed from death to life. Why? Because we love our brethren and he who does not love his brother, his brother abides in death. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer and you know that no murder, murderer has eternal life in him. Attitude toward your spouse, attitude toward your brother. That's the reason why in Malachi, this guy comes to the altar and he's crying and crying and crying. My Lord, my offering. And Lord says, I don't want your offering. Please take it home. Why? Because I see how the way you deal with your wife at home. Another guy comes and brings the offering to the altar and he says, Lord, take my offering. No, no, no. I know how you dealt with your brother. I don't need your offering. That is the reason why in our church we very we are very tough and strict on this. We say, please do not put your offering if you have anything or your brother has anything against you, be reconciled to your brother. Otherwise you have garments of violence on you. So what happens then? This is an incredible story of Josiah. I love this. Second Corinthians chapter, Second Kings chapter 23. Now the king sent them to gather all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. You know, this king, you know what? He wants everybody to repent. The king went up to the house of the Lord with all the men of Judah and with him all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the priests and the prophets and the, all the people, both small and great. And he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant. Please note that. 
point which had been found in the house of the Lord. What did I say? From law to covenant. Second Kings chapter 22 verse 8. Then Hilkiah the high priest said, I have found the what? The book of the law. And what is being read over here? Book of the covenant. That is interesting, isn't it? That is very interesting. Where is Raj and Appu is here? I think Raj is downstairs. I mean, Raj and Appu is not here. Okay, so we'll talk about them. Oh, oh yeah, Appu is here. Sorry. We'll talk about you anyway. Think about it, no? Raj and Appu meet. Okay? They want to get married. Right? Raj takes out a paper. I mean, goes to Word document or whatever. He types out. If you want to be my wife, rule number one, two, three, four. Rule number one, please leave me alone. Rule number two, don't irritate me. Etc, etc, etc. Ten rules. Takes a printout. Appu also goes and goes to the computer now. She also types. Rule number one, sorry every week. I'm just kidding. I'm just giving an example, okay? She's not like that. Just giving you a hypothetical situation. Several ten rules, they come together and they come and say, okay, fine, we exchange rules, okay? You take this rule, I take my rule. Now what we'll do is, you abide by these rules, and you abide by my rules, I will, and, and I will try to abide by your rules, and if things are going well, in maybe five or six or ten years time, we'll get married. That is law. You know what covenant is? I accept you the way you are. It's remarkable. God did not give them the law and bring them out of bondage. He brought them out of bondage first and then gave them the law. God did not save you because of the righteous works that you have done. He saved you first. And then he says, now work out righteousness in your life. What does he do? He makes a covenant with fallen man. That's exactly what it says in Romans chapter 12. Just as sin, just as sin entered by one man and death through sin. Death passed through all men for all have sinned. For until the law was, sin was in the world, but sin was not imputed where there is no law, when there is no law. But death reigned from Adam to Moses even over those who did not sin in the likeness of the transgression of Adam who is a type of Christ who is to come. What is it? What does it mean? Who sinned first? Eve. And she came to Adam. Adam saw Eve. He did not sin. He did not sin. And he saw Eve, something happened to her. And willingly, he was not deceived. He loved Eve so much that he chose to join himself into a predicament. And he made a covenant with her. Adam is a type of Christ. What does he do? He loves us so much first. And he says, you know what? I 
want to come into a covenant with you. In spite of all your flaws, I'm willing to accept you the way you are. But you know what? After I accept you, now I'm going to wash you by the water of the word and slowly, step by step. It is no longer going to be a law anymore. It's not going to be a a set of rules. It's going to be based upon a relationship with me. That's what is happening over here. From the book of the law to the book of the covenant. You know what he says? In Jeremiah chapter, sorry, Ezekiel chapter 36, he says, I'm going to take from them a heart of stone. And I'm going to give them a heart of flesh. And then I'm going to write my law in the tables of their heart. And I will cause them to love me and walk in my ways. I'm going to woo them slowly, gently. That is a covenant. It's not a contract anymore. It's not a set of rules. That is what Josiah wants to do. He says, you know what? This is no longer a book of the law. (laughs) It is a book of the covenant. Isn't it amazing? I want to talk about this. Then the king stood by a pillar and made a covenant before the Lord. It's like going into the waters of baptism. Now, you, when you go into the waters of baptism, you made a covenant before God. No, Johnson is here, several other who's got, who got baptized in our church. Johnson, do you accept? Do you do confess of all your known sins? Yes. Have you repented of all your known sins? Yes. Do you agree to follow Jesus all the days of your life? Yes. I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. And he comes out of the waters of baptism and you say, be faithful unto death. That's exactly what happens. For richer or for poorer. For better or for worse. In sickness or in health. I have made a covenant with you. Well, there's a very famous movie called Family Man. I don't know if you've seen that movie, Family Man. I'm not sure if you've seen that movie. Nicolas Cage in that movie, okay. In that movie, uh, you've seen that movie? Uh, It's a fantastic movie. And this guy is a, he falls in love with this girl and he promises to marry her. Okay, all the girls. I mean, you're falling asleep, so I'm using Pastor James's technique. Marriage is a carriage, okay. So he falls in love with this girl. And then, uh, this guy gets uh, offered to go to Paris. And when he goes to Paris, he says, okay, I'm going to come back and I'm going to marry you. Alright? So, at the airport, they hug and they cry and she cries, that guy cries. He takes the flight and he's off and he forgets about the girl. Several years pass. Several, several, several years pass. Now, this guy is a rich corporate executive in downtown Manhattan. Very rich, very successful. And one day, he's driving his Ferrari and he goes to a local store to buy something and he finds this funny looking guy and he says, he ignores him, he says, hi Jack. And he looks at him and he says, how do you know me? I know you Jack very well. I'm going to do something about you. Something will happen to you tomorrow. You know what happens to him? This guy goes to his bed. And he gets up from his bed and he finds that he got married to the girl that he left. They have a family. They have children. And that guy is in the form of an angel. is giving him a glimpse of what it is to live with your wife. 
First day, he's completely shocked that he's in the middle of this. He's thinking, it's a nightmare, it's a nightmare, but it's reality already. And he looks at this girl, and he's trying to resist him. He runs back to his office, but his office, nobody recognizes him. And he comes to terms with it, and he can't come, I mean, he can't digest it, and he's having a small baby now, and he has to change the diapers, and and he's become a family man, but over a period of time, he begins to love his wife. And in one of the shots on the movie, you know, he has a tape recording of an old uh, anniversary that they celebrated together. And in that, he's singing to his wife, la 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 means I love you. You remember that song? I don't know if you know that song. It's a fantastic song. Okay. One of my favorites. Old time song. Not now anymore. He's, he just sings it and he realizes Boy, I love this woman. In spite of all our shortcomings, in spite of everything that she's not, I still love her just the way she is. And now he doesn't want to leave that glimpse. And one day, even as he's taking his dog for a walk, he finds this angel again. He looks at him and he says, don't Please don't take me out of this glimpse. Please, please, please. And he says, Angel says, you know what? It's just a glimpse, Jack. It's just a glimpse. And he gets up from his sleep. And it's reality all over again. And then he says, what a mess I have made of my life. I lost the love of my life. And he runs after the girl. Not a happy ending. Okay. You see, what it, this is exactly what, what, what relationship is all about. I love you. God is saying, in spite of you. In spite of you. And because I love you in spite of you, I'm just not only your husband, and I'm not only your holy God, I'm also a father. So what does he do? You are the epistle written. I mean, this is, of course, a new covenant. He is not a Jew who is one outwardly. No circumcision which is outward in the flesh. He is a Jew who is one inwardly. And circumcision is that of the heart. In the spirit. Not in the letter. Praise is not from men. But from God. You know what circumcision is? It's a kind of a covenant that Abraham makes. He says, Lord. Yes, I trusted in my own flesh. But I'm not going to trust in it anymore. And Deuteronomy chapter 30 verse 6 says, sorry, this is not Romans, this is Deuteronomy 30 verse 6. It says, the Lord will circumcise your heart so that you will love him with all of his heart. What does it mean? What does it mean? You know what God is going to do? He sees all your shortcomings and your and your failures and your sin and he says, you know what, I'm going to slowly do a surgery. I'm going to cut this area. I'm going to cut that area. I'm going to cut this area. It's going to be Painful. It's going to be really, 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 really painful. A painful process. He'll take you through trial, through difficulty, through circumstances. But he has to take you through all of it because he wants to cut off that confidence in the flesh slowly every day of your life. If he doesn't do it, you know what will happen? That sin will destroy you. I'll give you something which has happened recently with Justin and I. You know, we had a small baby, small younger one. She had a boil on her body in a very sensitive area. The pus came 
And we thought it was, it was, initially it was very small. It started expanding. And we said, oh, okay, so let's just forget it. No, we'll just see what will happen tomorrow. And it's becoming, it was becoming more and more painful. And it became such a big boil. Scared, we took her to the doctor. And the doctor looked at it and he said, I have to take the pus out. And you wouldn't believe what was happening. You know, Justin was holding Emmanuel like that with both of her hands like this. And I was holding her. And the doctor was piercing that boil and just taking the pus out. And she was screaming and screeching. Oh, you wouldn't believe it. And Justin was like in tears. I was in tears. But even in spite of my tears, I'm not letting go of her hands. I'm still holding her. You know why? Because if I keep the hands off, that sickness will grow and it will become an infection. It will be really, really serious for her. Now that's exactly what God does with all of us. Exactly. Then you know what he does? He takes us through painful trials and painful situations. You say, Lord, it's painful, Lord, painful, painful, painful. And you know what he's doing? He's holding your hands and he's crying along with you. He's crying along with you. He's severing that relationship. You know why, why, you know why he's severing that relationship? Because you said, I can't live without him. I can't live without her. Oi! No way! Don't ever say that. That's what you write, no? You cannot live without God. That is only for God. And what is happening? He's slowly taking the knife and he's cutting and you're screaming and you're saying, Lord, it's painful. And he's holding your hands, crying along with you because he knows the pain that you're going through. Cutting it off. You know why? Because he says, child, you're too precious for me, Baba. I made a covenant with you. I made a covenant. Not a contract. He who began a good work in you is faithful to complete it. I'm faithful. Even if you are unfaithful. Because I cannot deny myself. Because what do I see? I see my son inside of you and he has to grow. And this flesh is hindering. I'm not to cut it off. But boy, I know it's painful. Lord, you don't understand. I understand. My son went through all of that on the cross. The most excruciating of all pains was not his physical. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And God allowed that. He was holding as it were that hands and tears flowing down his eyes so he could save you and save me. Now why? Because it's just not a book of law. It's a book of a covenant. For richer or for poorer. For better or for worse, for sickness or in health, I'm there with you. Hebrews chapter 12. You have not resisted to the shedding of blood in your striving against sin. And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as sons. Are you sons? Oh yeah, all, how many girls want to be sons, actually? And I asked the Children in GSS, how many of you want to be sons? We would want to be sons. You know why? Because we want to be having the privileges of a son. They have so much of freedom. We also want to have. You know what God says? 
You are my son. He doesn't say, children are a heritage of the Lord. You know what he says? Sons are a heritage of the Lord. You know why? Because in eternity, in the resurrection, there is no female, there is no male. Everybody is a son of God. And he looks at you and he says, sons, my son, my son, my son. I'm exhorting you. Do not despise the chastening of the Lord. How do you read it? Proverbs. All the female, oh, sorry, all the girls. What do you say? My daughter. Do you read it like that? No. My son. You know why? He's not, he's not looking at your earthly inheritance, Baba. <laughs> he's looking at your eternal inheritance. That's what he, Peter says, tells the men. He says, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. Why? Because you are heirs together of the grace of life. You are heirs. You know what you are looking at? You are looking at a daughter of God who is an heir of the throne. So better deal with her in an understanding way, okay? Understanding. Otherwise, praying. Lord, hear me. No, I am not able to hear. Why? Because, you know how you are dealing with my son? The fellow heir? Is that the way you deal with her? No way. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked of him for whom the Lord loves. He chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. You know what scourging is? That's what it means. And you have, you know, my, 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 said, Vipu Vimana Mota. It's a remarkable thing, uh, your parents is nice beating. Why? I scourge you now, but don't you ever think that I'm not crying along with you. You know, that's the, that is the reason why the Lord pities them who complete, con- con- complete that. The Lord pities them who, what, somebody again say that. The Lord pities them who fear him. Lord pities those who fear him. As a father pities his children, the Lord pities those who fear him. And John Piper gives a very fantastic example and then I'll close today. You know what he says is the fear of the Lord is like a, it's just like analogy, okay? Don't, don't take it literally. It's an, an analogy. It's like a, he had a friend who had a German shepherd dog. So he took his son, about six or seven year old son to his home and in his car, and then when he entered into the house, the dog came and started growling at him like that. It looked at a very looked at him with a very serious face, and the guy was taken aback. And the friend said, "Don't don't take it. I mean, take it easy. You know, he's a very loving dog. He'll do nothing." And then they realized that you know the dog is nice and playing with him, etc. And they and he had to get he forgot something in the car, and he asked his son, "Can you please go and get that thing from the car?" So the the guy turned and he started running toward the car and the moment he started running, the German shepherd got very upset and started growling and, and he said immediately, he said, John, whatever, I think it's Barnabas, Barnabas, don't run like that because when you run, he'll get upset. And John Piper says, that's exactly what the fear of the Lord is. When you run away, run away from him, he'll be upset with you. But when you stay close to him, he will guard you. He will guard you. He will guard you. 
Stay close to Jesus, my dear brothers and sisters. Because he has made a covenant with you. And that's Josiah. You know what he said, Lord? This is not a law anymore. Lord, I want to, I want to enjoy you. I want to be like that guy who sold everything that he's got. And he buys that pearl of great price because he finds that this is where all my treasure should be. You should be my treasure. You should be my reward. And nothing else. And he makes a covenant. How many of you want to make a covenant with God this morning? In the house of God this morning. That is true conversion, saints. True conversion is consummated in a covenant, covenantal relationship with God. When you say, Lord, I have forsaken all. No turning back. No turning back. No turning back. Even if I fall, I will rise up and will run toward you, but will not run away from you. Amen. Shall we all stand this morning in the house of God? I'm not sure what the Lord is dealing with you, in what area the Lord is dealing with you here. Many of you, I'm not sure. It could be finances. It could be a severing of a relationship. It could be loss of a job. It could be anything. Uncertainty of the future. And he said, Lord, have you forgotten me? And you feel like that. And I say to you on the authority of scripture, can a mother forget her child? Yes, she may. But I will never forget you, says the Lord. He has engraved us in the palm of his hands, saints. But he is a holy God. He is a righteous God. And he will not have competition in us. He wants us all for himself. Every part of our loyalty should be with him. And if there have been divided loyalties, God is severing those ties in your life. It's become a putrefying sore. But is in, in spite of all your screeches and your screams, is holding your hand so that you can be made whole and you can be made holy. A man of God said, unless the Lord crushes you, he cannot use you. He has to break you. He has to break and sever every tie of the flesh so that you can become a whole vessel in the hands of the living God. Like Josiah will bring about a mighty reformation. A reformation that was unparalleled in the history of Judah and Israel. There was no king after him, not before him, who ever turned back to the Lord with all of his heart, like the way Josiah did. Let this be your prayer this morning. Lord, make me a Josiah. That I will just not take this book to be a book of the law, but it will be a covenant, O Lord. That we will be your epistle written on tables of, of, of heart, not on tablets of stone, by the spirit, not of the letter. Whose praise is not from man, but it is from God. We'll seek to please you and you alone all the days of our life. Father, thank you, Father, for every brother and every sister. Father, whoever is going here in the sanctuary through an intense battle, you know it, O Lord. You know it, O Lord Jesus. You know. You know the hearts of your people, O Lord. Brothers and sisters who are going through 
trial after trial in their hearts. Doubt after doubt and a fight after a fight. But Lord, I pray you would strengthen them this morning. Strengthen them in the house of the Lord. That they will go back home refreshed. That they will be, they will go back home exhorted and encouraged. And rebuked if need be. But Lord, you are a father who is rebuking us so that we may be made partakers of your holiness. Oh Father, thank you, thank you, thank you Father for every one of us here, oh Lord. Touch Lord, touch, touch, touch. Heal marriages, heal broken relationships, heal finances, heal bodies which are plagued with infirmities, oh Lord. Touch Lord, touch this morning. Touch Lord. Oh, Father, have mercy upon your people, O Lord Jesus. We humble ourselves before thee, O Lord. We worship you, Father. We give you glory, O Lord. We give you honor. We give you thanks. We give you praise. For all your goodness and your mercy in our lives. We thank you. We praise you. We worship you. We glorify your holy name. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, and the sweet fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest and abide with us through this week. Amen. Amen.